So today we're going to continue our series on happiness, and I believe our world lacks happiness. Maybe even some of you in here lack happiness. I hope not, but I suspect maybe some of us are struggling with that. So what I want to do is I want to start off with a list of eight things that are characteristics of how you can make sure that you are absolutely unhappy. If you want to be an unhappy person, if you want to embrace unhappiness as your new lifestyle, if you want to be grouchy, if you want to be dour with a sarcastic and, and a cynical outlook on life, there are some characteristics that I want to share with you that you can make absolutely sure you install or instill in your life and you too can be unhappy. Now, we're going to look at the opposite of these things in just a few minutes, but I thought I'd get us started off with some of the, the negatives and just see how we compare or relate. First of all, unhappy people, unhappy people believe that money is everything in life and good things only come from themselves. Number two, unhappy people are afraid of dying and avoid thinking about the possibility of the end of their own lives and those they love. Number three, unhappy people demand to be the center of attention and the world must revolve around them. Unhappy people have a guilty conscience about secrets they keep and are filled with regret from an accumulation of bad choices. Unhappy people are unforgiving and hold grudges. They keep score, waiting for the universe to right all of their wrongs. Unhappy people look for opportunities to sin and believe that God is trying to keep them from having fun. Unhappy people are troublemakers and look for chances to add unwanted drama to the lives of others. Unhappy people make bad decisions and suffer the consequences. They refuse to even consider living God's way. I don't know how many of these things ring true in your mind or your heart. I hope none of them are characteristics that are representative of us and how we feel or how we're living but they're the opposite of not just what this series is about, but what the Apostle Paul teaches us in Philippians, and more importantly, what Jesus taught us in the book of Matthew. And today I wanna to talk to you about true happiness. I know what will make you happy. I have no doubt. I am absolutely sure. And it's not because I'm smarter than you, and it's not because I'm happier than you. It's because I believe the word of God is absolutely true. And I know that Jesus himself said, if you want to be happy, these are the things. These are the things. And so what I can do is point. And when I point, you guys can look. And all I can do is pray and hope that you look. Now, Jesus, he pointed in this sermon we're going to talk about today in just a few minutes. And he hoped and trusted and encouraged and nudged the world around him to look. The apostle Paul, who wrote this great book of Philippians, also pointed back at Jesus, who was pointing and saying, here, look, and that's all I'm doing today, just a preacher hundreds, thousands of years later saying, this is the way. Here's the way. Let's look. Let's follow. Let's live a different way. So we get to choose. And the Apostle Paul, a pastor who loved the church he was writing this letter to, a pastor whose heart was soft, a pastor who was making sure that his hand was outstretched, that they were winning together, that he wasn't going to win unless they all won. He loved and sacrificed and bled and sweat and prayed and cried over this church. And he's writing this prayer. And he said, this is my prayer. 
that your love may abound more and more. Now, you and I talked about love last week. We talked about how we love God and love others. We talked about the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment. We talked about forgiving. We talked about embracing the reality of us serving other people. And that was the first concept of this eight-week series. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what's best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So week number two in our eight-week series on how to be happy is very simply this. Happy people are knowing people. Real simple. There's some things we have to know, some facts we have to know. Facts are what we base our conclusions on. Our conclusions determine our attitude. Our attitude determines our emotions and everything changes. And these are some simple facts. And the apostle Paul, as he's writing, we have to remember what we know. I think very simply is thinking about the things that Jesus said when Jesus said the exact same thing. Jesus began his ministry after 30 years of life in relative obscurity, really anonymous, sort of under the radar. And as he began his public three years of ministry, he started saying things that freaked some people out started saying some things that alienated some, some things that made the religious community uncomfortable, saying that everyone could have a relationship with God, that each person was loved and valued, that what you've done in the past can be forgiven. And people had a hard time believing that right off the bat. Some struggled. And Jesus, he wasn't mad about the struggle. He wasn't condemning. He wasn't impatient. As he began to gather crowds, he said, it's only fair for me to share with you some of the things to expect if you become my follower. Now, the cool thing about Jesus, one of the cool things, is that he invited people to follow him who weren't yet followers of him. He said, just stick around. Keep coming back. Open your mind and open your heart. You will eventually have faith in me and you'll live a different way. And so he began to teach some of the apostles. We don't know exactly how many, a crowd of people who were probably genuinely interested, even some who might've been skeptical and scouting him out. And he lays these principles out. Now it's important to know before we go any further that the principles that he lays out are principles that are similar to the idea of planting a seed and growing a plant, which I do very poorly. But when you're hungry, you can't plant a seed and then expect to eat. When you're hungry, you can plant a seed and you can wait and water and allow the sun and the wind and rain to do its work. And eventually these things come up in your life and you notice them and you enjoy a harvest. These are things Jesus is talking about that you can't just go, oh, okay, I'm going to do this. And in five minutes, I'm going to These are things that we put deep down in our spirit. And as we do, well, the Bible calls it a fruit of righteousness, which sounds kind of churchy, but it just means the right kinds of things will begin to come up and to control and fill our thoughts, our actions, our relationships, and we live a different way. 
And so the Apostle Paul says that knowing some things are really important. And as we know some things or knowing the facts that scripture teaches, the the principles that Jesus says are are important or true, we should certainly look at what they are. So Jesus gathered this crowd and he went up on a mountainside and he sat down to teach. Now I've shared a message around or about this, this topic several times with you. There's a different facet each time, but it's the most important sermon in the entire Bible. It's the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is explaining the principles of the kingdom And he's saying, hey guys, you want to follow me? Listen up. He calls them beatitudes. We call them beatitudes. He calls them blessed. Matter of fact, he says, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be happy, if you want to truly understand the secret of life, listen up, pay attention, put them down deep and see what happens. We're going to look today at Matthew chapter five. These are some things that we need to know, remembering that these are things that we plant, that they will grow. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And when he did, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, when you see the word blessed, just put in the word happy, put in the word happy. We misuse the word blessed in our society. We don't understand it. Jesus, as he used this word, the word literally can mean happy, fulfilled, content, happy. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you have your notes, you're going to see more information than what you're going to see on the screen. So you can download the notes in a PDF form or file off of the app. But I just want to talk to you for a second. I want to break these things down. I'm going to resist the urge to take each of these things and make them a sermon I'm going to run through them very, very quickly, but I want to remind you that these are the kinds of things we embrace as truths, the kinds of characteristics that are true about a follower of Christ, the kind of things that you can expect as you live a different way. And it was fair of Jesus to share these things. It was kind of Jesus to share these things, but not everybody liked hearing these things. As he laid this teaching out, even though there was a big crowd gathered, no doubt there would have been people who slipped away. So you may find yourself fighting the temptation to slip away as I work through each of these eight things very quickly. You may hear one that just seems a little too big, a little too hard, that hits a little too close to home. But stick around, listen, open your mind and your heart, and let God do what God does. Let's break it down. Happy people are people who are poor in spirit. What in the world does that mean? Well, I'll just try to break this down for you very simply. Happy people can be rich people. Happy people can be middle-class people. Happy people can be poor people. Happy is the person who realizes that any good gift comes from God and that we're dependent on him for anything in life that means anything. Oh, people have a hard time with this. We have a hard time. What do you mean? I've worked hard. I've earned everything I got. Nobody gave me anything. One of my favorite conversations to have with people, particularly people who've accomplished or achieved things in life, is to help look back 
and say, you were born with a brain that some people aren't born with. You were born into a family, perhaps, that some aren't born into. You're born into a country that provides freedoms and opportunity that some perhaps don't have. You met a person at some point that you may not have met. God brought them into your life that allowed you to make decisions that brought some success. Or maybe there was a circumstance that maybe a decision, a proposition that you just happened to come across that you didn't have a few days before. And as we look back and we realize instead of saying I'm a self-made person, we say God brings everything that's good into our life. Certainly we apply ourselves and work hard, but every good gift comes from above. Now, Jesus talks about happy. Sometimes the church seems to be at war with happy. Sometimes we don't like anybody to be happy. We want to see a frown on our face. We want to work so hard at it. We want to make sure we're a little miserable or we can't possibly be spiritual. Some even say that God, Jesus, doesn't want you to be happy. He just wants you to be holy. And in reality, Jesus says the path to happiness is through holiness. And the song that maybe you and I learned if we grew up in church, uh, you know, happy and you know it, clap your hands. I mean, some people think happy and you know it, we should confess. It doesn't exist at all that we don't have to confess happiness, that there's a key to happiness. And the first key is Jesus says, realize that every good thing comes from him. And that if we're not grateful and look to him in our successes or our struggles, we're not getting it. He uses the word poor because poor people often don't have a lot of stuff. So it's hard for a poor person to take a lot of confidence and to keep score with stuff. I was thinking about a, a woman who I knew at a previous church. It's a church that Joy and I planted and um, it's a great church. It was a generous church, had a heart for people much like you guys do. And there was a Sunday when I knew that there was a woman who was struggling. I mean, she worked hard. The Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat if you're able to work, right? She worked hard. She did everything she could to take care of her family. She'd run into some circumstances that were a little bigger than she could handle. And I didn't even know because she didn't tell me. Some friends of hers came and told me. Her name was Christina. She's given me permission years ago to tell this story. So I stood up in church and I said, hey, there's a person, part of our church family. She didn't know I was going to say anything. She would have been horrified if she had known. She would have said, no way, don't ask. But our church allowed people to remain anonymous. I said, there's a woman who's struggling. Um, no fault of her own. Dealing with some difficult circumstances. I want us as a church just to be able to jump in, to give a little special offering and to help out. I didn't make a huge case. I didn't belabor the point. I just presented the opportunity. And people gave and gave generously. But Christina was in the church service. This was a lady ready to be evicted because, you know, she had not been able to pay her last couple months rent and was really at the end of a rope. When I got to the back of the church, back there in the back, she said, hey, I want to give. And I said, you can't give. She goes, well, why can't I give? Now, she didn't know the offering was for her, right? I mean, obviously, we weren't going to Dignity is important, and she opened her purse, and she dug everything that she had out of that purse, $17, and change. And she said, whoever you're talking about needs this more than me. And she gave it to the church. 
And I said, how did you do that? And I said, you know, you're struggling. And she said, God's the person who takes care of me. My faith's in him. If I can help somebody else, that's what I want to do. I remember that story as a principle. And I'm reminded that she was truly happy. Ready to be evicted? Had nothing. Sometimes rich people are the most miserable person of the people in the world. Sometimes poor people are. But happy is the person who realizes that success comes from the Lord, and to enjoy it, we need to make sure we're blessable. Number two, happy are those who mourn. Mourning is a really weird word. If I say you're going to be happy if you mourn, you're going to say, no, I'm not. I hate funerals. I mean, I'll go, I want to show up and I want to maybe come right at the very last minute and I want to sign the book and I want to sit way in the back and make sure that somebody sees that I'm there, but then I want to go real fast and go back to work because who wants to really deal with the idea of mourning? But it's funny because the Bible tells us that God gives mercy, promises mercy at least five times and grieving is one of the times Jesus even grieved over the death of one of his buddies, Lazarus. And the thing about mourning or grieving is that it's personal, that it's emotional, and what Jesus is saying here is happy is the person who can deal with the reality of life and death. Or more specifically, a person who's afraid of dying can never really enjoy happiness in living. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a retired pastor. He's here today. Lost his wife. who didn't lose her. He knows exactly where she is. She's in heaven about a year ago. We were having coffee. We were talking a little bit about it. And he said to me, I don't fear death. He said, I know exactly what happens when we leave this world behind. Now we talked about, you know, not really being excited about the prospect or the process of dying. But he said, when you really have a faith in Jesus, you don't have to fear death, which is why sometimes some of the oldest people are the happiest people, when in reality you look at life and the freedoms and physical health and opportunities that sometimes are lost don't really make that much difference. And you think, well, how in the world can I not fear death? And it's just one of these supernatural amazing things that the more we talk about life that happens after death and the reality of heaven, the fear just goes away. But we plant it and it grows and gives you a powerful happiness that blows your mind. You have a problem with it, you don't have a problem with me, you got a problem with Jesus, and that's between you and him. All I'm doing is pointing and hoping that you'll look. Number three, if you wanna be happy, you're gonna be meek. What in the world is meek? Who wants to be meek? I don't wanna be meek. Meek doesn't sound very masculine, does it? It doesn't sound very American. It doesn't sound very John Wayne or Clint Eastwood. I don't know, meek doesn't sound very good to me. Nobody has a daughter and says, I really want you to marry a meek man, honey. You, want, you, want, you want a guy with a job and you know, some initiative and some drive and we don't understand the word. Here it is, let me break it down for you. Let me explain it to you. Jesus says, you're going to be happy if you are willing to not have to always be the center of attention. There's a spotlight, and you're going to be happy if you learn to live life right here and to let other people have this spot. 
If you're married, perhaps it's a husband or a wife. If you have kids, perhaps it's a child, a coworker, a friend. That if you wanna truly be happy, we have to be willing to not always be number one or to be first. And man, it's so hard because if we don't make ourselves first, then how are we gonna win? And remember what we talked about last week. Jesus says that we don't win unless we all win. So just step back and let somebody else have that spotlight. Happy is the person who's not desperate for attention. Happy is the person who's comfortable in their own skin. Happy is the person who celebrates the victories and best in other people. And not only are they happy, but they're a lot of fun to be around. Well, that's just a couple of them. We got to keep moving. Number three or four, excuse me. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, righteousness is just a Bible word for the right kinds of things. What are the right kinds of things? The things that Jesus talked about that Paul points us back toward living our life with this God awareness, recognizing that he is Lord and that we are living life on purpose. But the principle here is very interesting. The word for hunger, you and I aren't hungry very often, are we? We don't live with food insecurity. I had no question about whether or not I would get breakfast this morning. My question was, what am I gonna choose to eat for breakfast this morning? But in Jesus' day, there was a lot of food insecurity and people didn't always know what they were gonna eat. And there was always an awareness of the idea of hunger and meeting that need. Now, many of us have played around with diets. Many of us are concerned about nutrition. We have a dietitian in our church I met with a couple weeks ago and we talked about living life in a calorie deficit to make sure that you, know, you can build the right kind of things and not have the wrong kind of things. And essentially what we talked about is the fact that when you eat, you need to live life where you're sort of looking for that next meal, where you're just kind of ready to eat something that's healthy, something that's gonna help encourage the goals that you're trying to set, that'll move you toward the person you wanna be. Not a slave to the wrong kinds of things, but knowing that you need what comes next, that there's kind of a healthy awareness that's created by the right kind of hunger. Now I'm paraphrasing a lot of what she said, but the principle is very true. That the right kind of things need to create an appetite in us to where we're looking for that next. That we use it to sustain us. That it's what we count on as we live our lives. And it goes beyond the idea of eating. And also encompasses the idea of compartmentalization, which is so dangerous. Well, I went to church. What do you expect, God? I gave you an hour on a Sunday. Now, I'm pumped that you're here. I believe there's no better place for you to be. I've seen what happens when people choose not to be part of a, a congregation and choose not to worship, even sometimes for periods of time. It's just we drift. God created us to live in a herd. But Jesus isn't going to pat you on the back for coming to church. What do you mean? I went to church and I went to a city group. I gave you two hours this week, God. But there's a concept here where Jesus is saying, if you want to be happy, you're going to break down the compartments of your life. 
And you're not going to give him some time and spend the rest of your life on the things that you want to spend it on. But you're going to invite him into every part of your life and live your life with an awareness of relationship or proximity to something and someone bigger than you. That's scary if you're honest. But just because it's scary doesn't mean it's not right. So, these are just one, two, three, and four. I believe that some of the people listening to Jesus, because they're after all just listening, trying to see, is this a guy I want to follow? Is this a crazy man? Is this really the Messiah? I don't know. I believe some of them slip away. I believe they hear these concepts and they say, uh-uh. Too big, too annoying, too overwhelming. I'm too busy. I have other things going on. And I believe they slipped away. Sometimes I think people slipped away just because they were afraid. Because when we're ready to live this way, it brings an anxiety that's really healthy but real. Because it's unfamiliar and it's uncomfortable. It's bigger than we are. Well, Number five, Jesus says, if you want to be truly happy, happy people are merciful. Now, here's how I would like to define merciful to you. Socially gracious. What do you mean? Manners? My grandmother, she's passed away. She's with the Lord, but she taught me manners. You probably never know it by hanging out with me now. She was from Georgia and she made my dad go to manners classes when he was young, and he knew which forks to put where and how to eat all proper-like and everything. And my grandma used to teach me the same kinds of things. She would teach me exactly what it meant to be socially gracious, but that's not at all what I'm talking about to you right now. Socially gracious is living in relationship with other people where you're perhaps forgiving. Remember we talked about forgiveness last week? How many happy people, don't answer out loud, just answer inside. How many happy people do you know who hold grudges, who harbor bitterness, who are unforgiving, and are waiting on people who've wronged them to be paid back? How many happy people do you know who are like that? Let me ask this question in a more personal way. And I'm not judging you. I want you to be free. If you're holding grudges, if you have unforgiveness or bitterness in your life, if you're keeping score, are you truly happy? And you say, but I can't let go because if I let go, I lose. And Jesus says, the only way you win is if you let go and let me deal with it. Somebody who's a uniter, not a divider. Somebody who's a lover and only a fighter when absolutely necessary. Somebody who's a reconciler and looks for opportunities to make peace. Well, if we want to be truly happy, we want to be merciful. Now, I know for a fact, this is not me speculating based on human nature because I think I know, or maybe a best guess. I know there's some of you in here, and I know some of you watching online who refuse to forgive. 
And I know that you wish I'd stop talking about it. I get it. Because every time I talk about it, it makes you uncomfortable. But I want to just remind you that not only do I know this principle personally, in an excruciatingly personal way, but I believe it biblically in a very fundamental way. And I want nothing more than for you to be truly happy. And I know that for you to get to that point, you have to take Jesus at his word and step into the light of forgiveness. So I'm gonna keep coming back it's not because I want you to lose. It's because I want you to win. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek, for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are merciful. And blessed are those who are pure in heart. Purity is a weird kind of a thing, isn't it? We don't even talk about purity in life today. We talk about purity in terms of bottled water, right? I have an air purifier in my house because I have allergies and I want a 99.7% pure filter that'll take out 99.7% of the impurities or imperfections in the air so that I don't sneeze and you know, sniffle all the time. But what Jesus is saying is, is that if you wanna truly be happy, we have to be ready to get rid of the secrets that we're harboring in life that we have to be ready to stop accumulating regret and finally learn to live without a guilty conscience by embracing what the Bible calls pure. And I know that sometimes some of us don't know what it's gonna be like to live that way because it's been so long that you've lived another way that it seems like part of you. And Jesus says, I get it and I love you and he reminds us, all I can do is point. But you have to look. Now, sometimes I wish Jesus would take my head and go, right? Like you do with a kid. Just take your head, look over there. Or like you, you, know, you point and you go, no, 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 seriously, look. Sometimes if you're just pointing up in the air, somebody will walk over and they'll look up and they'll, they'll, just because you're pointing. And I just sometimes wish that I had to look, but you don't have to. And Jesus is a gentleman. And he says, it's up to you. If you plant these things by following me, these things will grow and you'll be surprised. And you say, well, I can't plant them all, but you don't have to plant them all. As you continue to study the word of God and continue to let God apply these things to your life little bit by little bit, he brings it all up and pretty soon you realize that it's happening. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. I mean, how many of us look back and say my biggest regret in high school is that I didn't get in more trouble? I really wish that I had run around a little more when I was in college. You know, I just didn't get drunk enough. I wish that, you know, I had been arrested more times in life. Wish I'd stolen some more stuff. Wish I'd left my wife more often. I mean, no, nobody does that, right? But yet we allow regret to accumulate. And Jesus says, if you embrace these things, you're going to leave that life behind. And friends, you'll be truly happy. Finally, for our list, and there's another one that you can read in Matthew chapter 5. 
Jesus says, you're going to be truly happy if you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Now, here's the principle. We're getting ready to land this plane. In life, we're going to suffer, right? Good people suffer, bad people suffer. Christian people suffer, non-Christian people suffer. People get sick, people die, people get broke, people get left, people get fired, people get hurt. People, right? It's just part of living in this broken world. But Jesus says, if you choose to suffer for living the right kind of way, you're going to be happy. Or you can choose to suffer for living the wrong kind of way and you're going to be miserable. But you get to choose. Now, I want a different option. I want option C. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to have issues and problems in my life. I want to be truly blessed. And Jesus says, you missed the point. Truly blessed is not a life without difficulty. It doesn't exist. Truly blessed or truly happy is a person who lives life with Jesus. So he holds his hands out and he says, follow me. You don't have to, but I want you to. And if you live this way, you'll never be the same. Blessed are those who suffer because they're living the right kind of way. Now, we listen to these things and we go, huh. As a matter of fact, it reminds me of a book that I just read. A book that was written by a man named Chris Voss. Not a Christian book, but it was a good book. It's called Never Split the Difference. Chris Voss was a prolific, an accomplished hostage negotiator for the FBI. He decided to go into the private market where now he's teaching negotiation, discussion, problem solving for business and pastors and whoever else wants to read his books. Interesting dude, a guy who went to Haiti and for two years negotiated every week Americans who were kidnapped and had to try to get the kidnappers not to kill them and do all kinds of things and talked about how he did it. One of the principles that he shared was really intriguing. You'd have to read the book to really dive deep and dig in. But what he said is this, he goes, when you're talking to somebody and they're listening to you like you're listening to me, like the crowd listened to Jesus, like we're reading the apostle Paul as he's pinning this letter for, to this church he loved. So it's pretty easy to get somebody to say, you're right. You're right, preacher. You're right. You're right. This stuff makes sense. You're right. If somebody puts these things in their lives, they're going to really be a happier person. And Chris said, you know, you're right means nothing. He said, you got to get past someone saying you're right. And you got to land on a person saying, that's right. Because he says when you get to that's right, that's when you start talking about how you're going to live this way. And until we get to that point, the rest is just words. Now, Jesus concludes this sermon with a passage that's well familiar to you by this time. One that you and I will talk about over and over and over again. He ends it with a story. 
He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words and says, yeah, you're right, Jesus, but also says, that's right, Jesus, and puts them into practice as like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, the rain came, right? Because the rain's going to come. The streams rose. Why? Because streams rise in life. The winds blew because that's what winds do and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation built on what? These teachings. Now, there's another house that looks just the same. Everyone who hears these words of mine and says, you're right, but doesn't really put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the same rain came same streams rose, the same winds blew, and they beat against the house. But that house fell with a great crash. So here's the principle for week number two. If you want the kind of foundation that will not crumble in the storms of life, We have to apply the principles of Jesus. We have to be willing to live a different way. And if you're like me, you say, I can't do that. And I'd say, I can't either. The apostle Paul said he couldn't do that. He wrote a whole chapter in Romans, or a whole uh, um, yeah, chapter about how hard it was. But God himself if you choose to follow him, won't let you fail. He will take you by the hand and lead you through and to a life you've never imagined. Because you've chosen to pursue happiness by being holy. And friends, that's different. So, we've learned that the first secret to happiness is being loving. The second secret to happiness is to knowing. Next week, we're going to be talking about how the third secret to happiness is by experiencing. And I want to encourage you, even if you're not 100% bought in, even if you're not sure, come back and listen. Give Jesus a chance to prove himself to you. Father, thank you for my friends.